You know, sometimes we need music and sometimes we just need the words. That too was a God thing. Our scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Well, good morning, church. Hello to those joining us online and those that will watch us later. Hello to you as well. Let's start this morning with a word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to take you to Pee Wee League football this morning. That was my first introduction into the world of football when I used to play it. I played it basically up to high school, then I switched sports, but I was all about football growing up in the South. As many of you know, I grew up, uh, moved around a lot, but I lived a lot of time, most of my life in Atlanta one way or another. And you have to understand, football there is kind of like football in Central Ohio. We like it just a little bit, right? Just a tiny little bit. And so every kid's dream growing up is to be the football player. So I decided I was going to take it up and do this, and so uh, it was one of these things where, you know, there's only certain uh, places you could go even at that young age for, for football, and wasn't at my high school quite yet, so I had to go be kind of a community group and, you know, kind of thing at a local park. And I distinctly remember the excitement of going on and getting on the shoulder pads, you know, you go get all your equipment, and that first time you, you suit up and you're going to practice, you got the butterflies in your stomach, and you're all pumped up to go out there and to do football, and you know, they do this, you do the stretching and all that, and then you get up, and all of a sudden, the first drill is line up against other people, and then they blow a whistle, and you're supposed to hit the person. And I remember at that moment, I distinctly thought to myself, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, 
have never thought this through. Like, how am I actually gonna hit the person in front of me? And while I'm thinking these thoughts, the whistle blows, and next thing I'm looking up at the sky with my feet dangling, right, out ahead. And so that was one of my first examples, but I remember, you know, over time, of course, you kept at it and kept going and you get a little better. And what I remember, it was one of those things coaches taught, right? There are simple things that you do. Simple things, and so, you know, it was easy, especially as a young kid, to get mixed up with, you know, you have to have this many people, you gotta line up here, you gotta do this, and there's, these people are going this way, these people are going that way, you know, and the, the quarterback's apparently gonna have the ball and hand it off to someone, and hopefully it goes according to plan, you know, in those days, and, and of course, no one knew what we were doing, we are just running around the field with big helmets and trying to keep up with it. But I remember that eventually, the simple things were taught, right, and so, tactics like, well, first of all, stay low when you hit the person. Get down low in your stance low, and when the whistle blows, hit the person in front of you and stay low when you do with your low central gravity, you have more leverage. And the second thing was just choose someone, right? Like, if you're out there and you need to hit somebody, there's all these people running everywhere, just pick somebody and go for it, right? That was our coach's strategy, like at that age, just, just find someone and go hit them, like, that was, the, that was the, the strategy. And then not only go hit them, but then, if you can, especially if you're on offense, stay in front of them. And if you're on defense, try to shrug them off and get past them, right, and go find the football. And I remember those were the basics. It was strategy, 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 and all the different things that you see, uh, you know, in the professional football leagues, all the stuff they do. Coach said, forget all that, kids. Stay low, hit somebody, and hopefully it'll all work out, right? <laughs> and so we taught, they taught us the very basic and fundamentals. And it came to the point where next time, finally got good enough that I wasn't on my back all the time staring up at the sky, that those tactics actually made sense and they worked. And there was a lesson that was taught there that those simple things, right, of course there's many football coaches that will tell you even in very high league uh, experiences, practice those basics, settle on those basics, settle on those simple things that you can do that when you do them wrong, everything goes out and goes bad. If you do them right, things go your way. I want to take that idea of simple things for here today and combine it with something else. Many of you have, you know, watched news and it's kind of interesting today that uh, symbols carry so many meanings, don't they, right? And people can look at one symbol and feel one thing. Another group of people can look at one, the same symbol and feel something else, you know, and it can go on and on and on into a myriad of ideas. And it's interesting for me, many people will look at different symbols different ways, but when I look at the United States flag, for instance, there's many reactions in our culture of, of what people feel. You know, one of the things that I feel there when I look at it, and one of the things that I'm always so proud about it is that when I look at the flag, I don't see the United States as what it is now. I see the vision for who we strive to be, right? And when I look at that symbol, it's not a, a symbol for what I experience in the world here today, but I see that ideal, that, that broad and just energizing idea of the vision of who we could be that we would be a country that would value every person, that we would give the highest degree of freedom to each other that we possibly could, and that we'd also make room for each other to think differently, experience life differently, and even to choose what works in our life even differently. And hopefully as Christians, we also see that freedom as a, as a chance to use our freedom to serve others. And that idea, when I look at the flag, is powerful, right? It's powerful because it's elegant. It's powerful because it's beautiful in and of itself. And sometimes you can combine the two ideas, right? That sometimes you can have simple things that are also very elegant. When that happens, the power is enormous. It's enormous. 
And our scripture here today is one of those examples. When you think about the book of Corinthians, there's actually, as you know, you skim through scripture, there's two books to the Corinthians that we have and two letters that Paul wrote. But one of the things that's interesting, whenever you hear this uh, passage so many times, it's at a beautiful wedding, right? And, and so many times the bride and groom are sitting there looking at each other and they're staring at each other's eyes and you're talking about love and the emotionality of it just feels so warm and fuzzy. But what's so unique about this chapter is that it was written in a book that's called the Corinthians. And in fact, if you go read the rest of the book, so much of it is actually about a church that can't figure things out. And it's a church in the place called Corinth, and that was a place right on the isthmus of Greece, kind of where it kind of, the two large northern part and the southern part kind of come together. And there's a little isthmus that it's there. And it's not very wide, but it was a travel center. And so it was kind of one of these places where the east meets the west, if you will, the north meets the south and the Mediterranean Sea and everything else. And it was a huge port had huge economic opportunities, and people from all around the world would go there and be there. And what's interesting is when you read a lot of the letters that were written to churches, there were many issues people were dealing with, but the Corinthians were one of those ones that just kind of couldn't get it, right? Like, it didn't quite make sense, the gospel, and how to actually apply it to daily life. And so when you read it, there's all sorts of things that they had struggles with that Paul was trying to help them out with and to guide them on. Things like, who do you follow? Do you follow the apostles, like different apostles? And do you, do you go after one? Or is it like you follow Jesus Christ? Some basic things like that. Our ideas like what is sexual immorality and what should you do with it? What are lawsuits in the church, even civil lawsuits of Christians taking each other to court? What is that about? Marriage and ideas of marriage and how does the gospel work in marriage? Food, and specifically for them, the idea that most of the meat you would eat in the ancient world was sacrificed to idols. So is it a sin to go buy on the market food that's been sacrificed to an idol of some pagan god? They were wrestling with that. Do we do that? Do we not, Paul? What do we need to do? They had issues with the Lord's Supper because a lot of times they wouldn't wait for other people, and so they'd just start eating before the church had gathered. Or sometimes the wealthy were eating, and the poor people were sitting there not having any food as they ate in front of them. Paul's words about that, there were spiritual gifts, and specifically it looks like speaking in tongues was a big one, that they would speak in tongues with no interpretation. And so it was a place where people from all around the world would gather, and people would speak, and be gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak, but yet no one would actually offer interpretation for the church, and so people were just praying in a language no one knew. He talks about orderly worship, or even just the idea of the resurrection of the dead. Is it important? So this book goes on and on and on about just things the church was having trouble with, right? How do we actually put the gospel in our daily lives? And it was complicated. It was messy for them. It was such a diverse place that, you know, a lot of times when we have diverse streams of thought and diverse cultures coming together, life gets very complex at the same time. Well, this was surely true for the Corinthians. And so what I love so much about these passages is it's written in a book where life is messy. It's written in a book where the church just can't figure out up, down, left, right. What are we supposed to do, Paul? Help us out, Paul. We're trying to live the gospel. How do we do it? And Paul, of course, was somewhere else. He was at Ephesus writing these letters. And he's writing them, and he's saying, Church, here's my best thing. I'm planning on coming to you. Oh, by the way, in this middle of this book, I'm going to give you chapter 13. I'm going to give you just a picture of what you're supposed to be doing, that if you just focused on this, some of these other things will work themselves out. And he says in that chapter of 1 Corinthians, those famous words of love. 
And he says it in such a simple way, in such an elegant way, in this idea that's so simple and elegant that if we focus on love, the other 16 chapters, or the other 15 chapters of a 16-chapter book fall in place. And he gives them these ideas. Love each other. I also enjoy when I read this text the challenge that it brings, not only because it describes love and going after love and striving for love, but it defines love both in the positive and the negative. And what I mean by that is it describes love as it is, and it says what it is not. And every time I read these, this chapter and read these words, I think to myself just how God is calling me to live simply and elegant. Just hear some of the basics again that Paul says of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Whenever I hear those words, I'm always called to love better than I have before. And of course, when you live a life, you always think back on those examples of people who have loved you beyond your imagination. For me, I've had many such experiences, but one of them was uh, I'll just, I've never shared this one with you, but when Kelly and I were married, we were working out our, our, you know, working out and trying to do our, our diligence for paying for our own wedding. And so we were trying to figure out how to host a bunch of people cheaply, right? Because we were like, you know, poor kids that like were in master's degrees and had no money and all this type of stuff. So we were trying to figure this out and uh, Kelly was working at Target and a couple of people she worked with said, hey, we live in Lexington, but we love to cater. We just do it for fun. And so three people from her Target store came, drove all the way down to Atlanta, Georgia, and catered our whole entire reception. Of course, we bought the food and all that, but like they actually did the whole entire thing and made it look beautiful. Like they had the covered dishes and all this type of stuff. We basically bought some food from Qdoba, if you know it's a burrito place, and like they dressed it up and made it look like a really nice thing, right? And it was just absolutely beautiful, but what a gift of love and how I still cherish that. Kelly and I have our uh, anniversary coming up here in later September, and every time we have that anniversary, I think about the people who loved us enough that for free they drove down from, uh, you know, Louisville, Kentucky it was actually, and drove down from Louisville, Kentucky all the way down to Atlanta, Georgia, spent the weekend catering our dinner for us just to do an awesome gift for us. How thankful Kelly and I are for that. Simple things like that, simple and elegant. In our culture, in our world, I don't know about you, but it feels like life gets more complex, more and more complex. And every single day, it feels more complex than the next day. And you know, every single year goes by, it's like, okay, 2020 was gonna be the year. And then we learned 2020 was not the year, right? And then 2021, we're gonna leave 2020 in the, bat, in the dust. And 2020 is still kind of kicking in some ways in 2021, right? And so we kind of always kind of that feeling like life is gonna get less complex, less, it's gonna get easier and easier. It seems like the opposite. Life gets even more complex, even more twisted and turny and curved. And especially as we continue to grow in our ideas of diversity, how complex life can be and when different thoughts come together and ideas even of what is good or not good. And in the midst of that, Paul tells a church, and I think he says the same thing to us today, hey, focus on love. If you can do that, a lot of the other stuff is just going to work itself out. Focus on love. 
Now, there's many things that we could talk about here today because there's, of course, more ideas of love than Paul describes in this letter. But one thing that I think is always worthy in our culture to point out that is not love and not how to understand love that I just want to spend just a moment to share again here today. In our world, so many times we get caught in this idea that love is primarily an emotion and that you're supposed to feel something for one and that is what love is. But as you read the Gospels and you read the teachings of the Apostles and you read through Scripture, you find out love is not really starting, starts with an emotion. Love starts with an act, specifically an act of a covenant a lot of times of you're going to covenant with somebody and do something for them despite the fact whether they do something for you or not. It starts with that act and hopefully those feelings do develop within that act, but you're going to love someone, even your enemies. As God has called us to, and love is primarily first in action and only secondarily a feeling. Oftentimes we get that mixed up, and so many times in marriages, when you hear people talk about marriages that are ending, so many times they talk about how the emotion was lost. But when you really delve into it, you realize that so many times it was the acts of love that were lost well before the emotion. Because again, love is not the emotion, love is the action. And the emotion of love comes later. And so as we look at these words, just one thing I wanted to point out there, there's many other op- uh, things we could talk about in love, but those are for a sermon for another day. But as we love each other, let's not get hinged on emotion. Let's get hinged on the way Paul describes it, of actions, of patience, of kindness, of non-boasting, of not being proud, of not being rude, of not self-seeking, of never failing, always trusting, always hoping, and always persevering. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your scripture and how, God, you spoke through the Apostle Paul to give us a simple and elegant way to understand what we're supposed to do in the midst of a complex, crazy world. God, as we're here, help us to always live up to those words. Help us to love others as you have loved us. Help us, God, to always see love as an action rather than a feeling. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.